was at this pulpit I preached my very first sermon. I was 23, 2002, 14 years ago. Uh, and we've had a lot of sermons since then. I think it's somewhere around 700 is what I counted up. Uh, but it has been a pleasure to get to be your pastor and preacher and just to get to share this amazing, unbelievable book. And that's what I want to do with you guys today. What I'd have you turn right now to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13, verse 20. And when I started to think about what passage to share with you guys this Sunday, uh, I started thinking through the, the Bible verses that have meant the world to me over these last two and a half months in my own devotional life. What are the passages that I've kept running back to morning after morning, seeking to find hope, seeking to find strength, seeking to find direction from the Lord myself? And I cannot tell you how much this passage has spoken to me. And so a lot of ways this morning, I just want to share a devotion with you guys. One of my morning devotions. Here it is. Coming out of how the Lord has spoken to me and just uh, the reminder of who it is we serve. What he's capable of. And that he always, always has a plan for our lives. So join with me. Exodus 13 verse 20. Uh, God's people, just real quick, have uh, just come out of Egypt. The ten plagues have just happened. Pharaoh just let them go, and this is where we pick up as they're marching out. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Itham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahirath between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites have, are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fed, fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officials over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahirath opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Israelites said, and the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Father, we have heard this story since we were little boys and girls when you parted the Red Sea and led your people through it. But Lord, the same God who did that for them is the God who is here present with us today. And I pray that we would know, Father, your power and your presence over our lives, over this church, over our nation, over this world. That you reign and no army and no enemy can conquer or defeat you. Preach Jesus today, Father, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. The first big thing I want us to see about this passage today is the Lord is the best shepherd and the best leader you could ever have. At the end of chapter 13, it tells us how God led his people out of Egypt. You want to talk about amazing, crazy. He led them this huge pillar, think of like a tornado, of cloud during the daytime, and at night it lit up with fire. And what does it say about that pillar of cloud and fire? It always, always went in front of the people, never behind. And it never moved from its spot. That's the kind of leader we have, Clover ARP Church, in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our good shepherd. That's what he tells us in John 10. I go before my sheep. 
I don't drive you forward. I don't drive you ahead. I lead the way. You know what that means? First, I know where I'm going. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose, and it's amazing. Second, if we're going to face conflict or attack or enemies, guess who's going to face it first? I am. Nothing's ever going to face you or come against you that Jesus Christ has not faced first. He goes before us, just as the Lord went before his people. And what we also see here is he gives them just what they need. Here they are marching out into a dark wilderness, and at night, what's God do? He flips on the lights. He says every night they had that fire shining down on them, giving them protection and guidance and guarding through day and through night. Now what's so amazing about God never moving from in front of the people is God had every reason. If you've ever read the the story of Egypt, I mean the the book of Exodus, you're going to know time and again God's people were constantly complaining, sinning, murmuring, rebelling, sinning against God, not even following his lead. But never once does God say, that's it, I'm done with you people. I'm done. I give up. I'm turning the lights out. I'm getting the cloud out of here. You're on your own now. I've tried, and it ain't helping. It's one of the greatest things we could remember. We can't unearn God's leading and guidance over our lives because we never earned it in the first place. I cannot tell you what these verses have meant to me over these last few months. A couple of weeks ago, I've shared with you the journey God has me on right now. And the things he is revealing in my life. And the things he's saying, come on over here, son. Let me start pointing out a few things. Let me start doing a little construction on your heart and on your soul. But it's amazing to think that even as he's revealing so many ways that I've gone wrong, he doesn't say, I give up on you. I'm done with you. It's over. You're through. He did it all. He never gave up on the Israelites. He always led them faithfully. And that's what he says to us as well. In your deepest, darkest moments and sins and failures when you're like, there's no way I could show up at church this week. There's no way God would ever love me. This passage and the whole Old Testament tells you, whatever you do, God remains faithful to his people. And he leads the way out. We've seen this as a church too, haven't we, guys? Over the last decade, there's been a lot of things we didn't see coming. There's been a lot of hard times and attacks that have come our way or difficulties or hardships that have come our way that we had no idea about. But guess what? Our good shepherd knew what was going on. Our good shepherd knew exactly what we were about to face. And he was leading, providing, protecting, and caring for us. Whether we had a clue or not, he never, ever has ceased to be faithful to his church, and to his people. And that's going to be the case from today on forward at Clover ARP or any Christian church in this world. He will continue to be faithful in leading us. Second thing you need to see from this passage, it's an important point. When you follow God's lead, a lot of times it's not going to be easy. When you actually do follow him, And let him lead and guide your life. A lot of times he will lead you right into trouble. That's exactly what happens here as we get into the beginning of uh, chapter 14. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near the sea. They're to camp by the sea directly opposite this town, this place. Here's the point. 
to this point, that cloud and fire had been leading them on a beeline right out of Egypt. God had just set them free. He had just brought the plagues against Pharaoh. Finally, Pharaoh softened his heart and said, get out, go. And so they went. And at this point, they're just making straight time away from Egypt, away from slavery, away from captivity. And then all of a sudden, at the beginning of chapter 14, God says to the people, turn around. Go back. Turn back. This wasn't their decision. This was God's decision. As they followed him, he tells them, turn around and go back. Now, if you're the Israelites, you're thinking, what? You kidding me? Go back. That, go back. That means Egypt. That's where we've been slaves for 400 years. Why would we go back? On top of that, God doesn't just say turn around. So here, this million-man group turning around, going back to where they just came from. Then he tells them to do the most unstrategic thing they could ever do. Go and pin yourself up against a sea so you'll have no way of escape in case anything bad happens. Go ahead and limit your options of where you can flee to and where you can get away to. Go and camp right next to the sea. Here God is leading them and telling them, I want you to get yourself in a place of trouble. When the Israelites found themselves in such a mess that they needed the Red Sea to be parted, it was because they followed God to that spot for him to provide that deliverance and that salvation for them. Then on top of that, there's one last thing. Oh yeah, Moses, when Pharaoh sees you guys wandering around in circles out in the desert, he's going to think, what have I done? I just lost my whole slave labor force. I'm going after him. And you're going to see dust start to kick up in the desert as Pharaoh's whole army starts coming after you guys. Yeah, that's the plan. Turn around, go trap yourself, and an army's coming after you. A lot of times in our lives, when we follow God's lead, it's not what we think it's going to be. It's not going to be all roses. It's not going to be all easy. A lot of times when you follow God's lead, he's going to lead you right into hardship. Don't make, let that make you think you've done something wrong or you've, messed, uh, or you've lost step with the Lord. Many, many times he's just getting us right to the place where he could come and we have no other options and he can be our deliverance. Now, the Egyptians at this point are thinking, or the Israelites at this point are thinking, Lord, what are you doing? How could this be your plan? How could this be what you want for us? I've got to be honest, I've asked that question a lot to the Lord over these last couple months. I never would have dreamed that somehow a few months ago I would find myself standing here before you giving my last sermon at Clover ARP Church. How is this the plan? How is this what you wanted for my family, for me? How is this what you wanted for the church? How is this the plan, God? I still don't know in every way how this is the plan. But what I do know is he is clearly leading me and my family after him. And I'm not really sure where this road's going to go or where exactly it's going to lead. A lot of times it leads into trouble and it leads into fear and it leads to insecurity, which is all what we've been facing. But I want you to know he's never failed his church and he never will fail his church. Many times he leads us to hard places because he has a greater salvation in mind than we had for ourselves. That's the third point. He has a greater salvation in mind for his people than they had for themselves. You know what their plan was? Let's get out of Egypt as fast as we can and don't look back and go, go, go. What's the problem with that plan? 
problem with that plan was, even when they got to the promised land, if they made good time and it didn't 40 years wandering around in punishment, even if they made good time to the promised land, you know what still was back in Egypt? The most powerful army in the world that had held them captive for the last 400 years. If Pharaoh had enslaved them once, he could easily have done it again. He could have marched his army right over to the promised land and gotten those people right back and carried them back to be slaves if he ever changed his mind in the future. The people's plan of salvation was, let's get out of here fast and easy and quick. God said, hold on a second, I got a different plan. I want to save you guys way more thoroughly and way more powerfully than you could have ever dreamed of yourself. But to do that, I'm going to have to put you in harm's way for a little while. I'm going to have to put you in danger for a little while. I'm going to have to have you turn back, trap yourself, and be surrounded by an army and a sea And then watch what I'm about to do. This is what God was doing and what he even tells Moses. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue the people. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. God was going to wipe out the entire army. So his people wouldn't just be safe for a few weeks or months or even years. They would be safe for centuries in many ways because the great army in the world was no longer going to be an army. They would have no one who could come and defeat them over all these times as they looked to the Lord. Again, these are lessons we've seen ourselves many times too, haven't we? A lot of times, we've asked ourselves a lot of times at this church, what are you doing, God? How is this the plan? You know what we've seen time and again? God's got, I got a bigger plan than what you had in mind. I got a greater salvation than you have in mind. I've seen it many times in my life, and I've seen it many times in your lives. As we've sat there together and wondered, how could this be your will for us? And as the years have gone on, he's begun to give us one nugget after another after another. This is what I was doing. This is how I was preparing you. This is what I was taking care of in your heart and in your life. And this is something we must always remember as well. Trials reveal things about us. Fourth point. Trials reveal the truth about us. And these love and respect classes that we've had uh, before around here, um, one of the things he talks about is marriage is good at squeezing whatever's inside of you. The squeezing isn't the bad thing. The question is what's really inside of you. You squeeze a flower, you step on a flower, what comes out? Fragrance. You squeeze a skunk, what comes out? You know? God's been doing a lot of squeezing in me, you know? And it's, Lord, make me the flower that just is the fragrance of Christ, whatever we face, whatever we go through. It's always in our lives as he squeezes us. That's what he was doing to the uh, Israelites. And guess what came out of the Israelites real fast? He just had done ten great plagues. He just got them out of Egypt. Already, they immediately doubt and complain and rebel. That's what comes out of the Israelites and is going to keep coming out of the Israelites as soon as God squeezes them. They say to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to die here in the desert? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? They grumble and they complain. Their immediate reaction when they face the first hint of trouble is not to trust God. Their immediate reaction is to doubt God is to turn on God, and is to try to take things into their own hands. Maybe we can go and just surrender and go back and be slaves. That's the plan they hatch and come up with. But these next couple verses, guys, to me are some of the sweetest ones you'll ever see in the Bible. Exodus 14, 13, 
and 14. Because Moses, at this point, stands up before the people. Here they are whining and complaining and doubting and ready to give up and go back. You know what Moses gets up and does? He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't put them down. He actually gives them one of the sweetest, most powerful promises we could ever imagine. You want to talk about words of grace flowing here. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You might need to mark these verses in your Bible. I know I have. They'll get you through some tough times. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. First thing I want you to see about what Moses tells them is this. Do not be afraid. It's a command you find all over the Bible. Probably one of the hardest commandments in the whole Bible to keep, right? Don't be afraid. (laughs) That's not one of those that you could just go check. Good on that one. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. How is that ever possible to not fear and not be afraid? There's only one way to honestly obey this commandment of God. You know what it is? Somehow we've got to quit looking at circumstances and start looking at the God we serve. Your circumstances will always go up and down. You can try to secure your circumstances and not fear that way, but there's going to be something that takes those things away from you. The one way you can, whatever you face, not fear is to just keep looking up and keep looking at the one you serve. 1 John 4, 4, the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. Jesus with his disciples, right before he gets betrayed, arrested, beaten, abused, tortured, and killed, tells his disciples this, a time's coming and has come now when you will be scattered, each of you to your own home, and you will all leave me alone. But I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The only antidote to fear is Jesus and looking at Jesus and realizing Jesus is bigger than my sin. Jesus is bigger than my weakness. Jesus is bigger than my failure. Jesus is bigger than my past. Jesus is bigger than whatever my future may hold. Jesus is bigger and greater and stronger, and he is the reason I don't have to be afraid. Second thing Moses tells them, verse 13, stand firm. Another command you find all over the Bible. This has been a key command for Evan, Kim, Owen, and Annalise English over the last two and a half months. Every morning we've we've started this little thing we do together as a family where we read Ephesians chapter 6, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may stand your ground and then we just practice putting on our armor every day. Okay, Annalise, hold up your shield. Hold up your sword, you know. We put on the full armor of God because we don't have a choice. We do not have a choice. The devil's coming and he's coming hard. Stand your ground daily in him. And the second you don't stand your ground or don't wake up ready to fight, guess what's going to happen to you that day? Boom. You're going to get blindsided because he don't quit. But why does Moses tell the people to stand firm? This is where we get really good, guys. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Why did he want them to stand firm and be ready for battle? Because he didn't want them to miss the show. That's why. 
Stand firm. Quit worrying about life and circumstances or even the Egyptians. Don't look back at the Egyptians. Look toward the sea. Look up at me and watch what I'm about to do. Look back at the deliverance I've already given you, the salvation I've already won for you, and look at the salvation I'm going to accomplish today. The Red Sea parting, you could make the case, is the most important miracle in the Old Testament in that it pictures the salvation Jesus would give to us in so many ways. Over 24 more times in the rest of the Old Testament, it's going to point back to the Red Sea parting. Over and over again in the New Testament, it's going to point back to the Red Sea parting and say, you know how Moses led the people through the Red Sea? Well, Jesus is really the Savior who leads us through everything we could ever face. Did you know in the transfiguration, Jesus is on top of the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and he shows them his glory. Remember who's up there standing next to him? Moses and Elijah. And Moses and Jesus start having a little conversation. And listen to what Luke says they're talking about. As he was praying, that his appearance changed. His clothes became bright as flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. And they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. You know what they talked about? His departure. You know what the Greek word literally is here? They spoke about his exodus. Jesus is talking to Moses. You know that little exodus thing you and the people went through? Wait till you see what I'm about to do on the cross in Jerusalem shortly. Just like you led the people away from their greatest enemies where you defeated them. Just where you led them to safety and deliverance. You know what I'm about to do on the cross of Calvary? I'm about to part open a way that wasn't there before. And lead a way where sinful people can have access to God again. And I'm going to lead you away from sin, away from Satan, away from all the evil that's against you. And I'm going to lead you to the fullest and greatest deliverance imaginable. One of the coolest things I found as I was kind of digging a little deeper in these verses is the Hebrew word here, where Moses says, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. He says, stand firm and see the Yeshua the Lord will bring you today. That's the Hebrew word. You know what Yeshua means? Jesus. That's the Hebrew word for Jesus. Stand firm and see the Jesus he's going to bring you the salvation he's going to bring you. If there's one thing I could say to my dear Clover ARP church today, it's this. Stand firm and look at Jesus and watch what he is going to do. You think your sin's a big deal? He's got it covered. You don't know what your future's going to hold? He's got that taken care of too. There's nothing he cannot face off for you. If God is for us, Who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Then Moses says this, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Man, that's an awesome verse. It's a great one to memorize. What are we going to do? We're trapped. We're surrounded. Where do we turn? Where do we go? Don't worry about it. Stand still and watch how God is going to fight for you. My biggest prayer is that everyone in this room will be in heaven one day. And that's not a given. Let's be honest with ourselves. That's not a given. I don't know how you think you're going to get yourself to heaven. The Israelites didn't know how they were going to get themselves away from their predicament they were in, their trouble. You know what their only option was? 
realizing they didn't have one. Realizing we can't go back, Egyptian army ready to kill us. Can't go forward, Red Sea standing there in our way. We have nowhere to look either direction except up. You want to be in heaven? Quit trying to get there. Quit trying to do good things. Quit trying to work your way out of it. Quit trying to fight your way out of it. Give up, stand still, and realize the Lord has fought for you. Jesus went toe-to-toe on the cross with sin and Satan and hell itself. And guess who rose three days later victorious? Our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to get to heaven and please, please, my people, be in heaven. Let the Lord Jesus fight for you. Be still and watch what he has done and what he will do. Charles Spurgeon says this, If you try to add to God's salvation, you subtract. That's the gospel truth of this passage. There's one more thing here we see. So God tells them, I'm going to fight. I'm going to give to deliverance. I'm going to do it all. There's one last thing he tells the people. The Lord in verse 15 says to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. As God comes and saves us through the cross, it gives us new life. You know what he says of us? Now go live out the new life I've just given you. By faith, go and live it. Act on what I've just done for you. And this is what he says to the people here. One of the craziest commands you could ever find in the whole Bible when God turns to Moses and says, tell the people to move on. And if you're Moses or you're an Israelite, you're going, move on where? Like we just said, army, sea. Where do you want me to move? Think about the faith it took to pick up all of your possessions and start walking towards a body of water. It's crazy, isn't it? But it was an act of faith, trusting we're not going to be able to move that water. But God, by faith, somehow by the time we get there, it's going to have moved. I don't know how that's going to happen. It's never happened before in the history of the world, but you're going to do it. God asks the same thing of us. It's these action steps of faith that really don't do anything. Think about it. Move towards the water. How does that help the Red Sea part? It doesn't. Pray. You in trouble? Pray. What's that help? It doesn't do a thing, does it? You're not having one conversation with another human being. You're not lifting anything. You're not buying anything. You're not spending anything. You're not doing anything. But you're talking to the only one who can do something. It's the most helpless thing you could ever do, and that's why it's so powerful. Because we quit trusting ourselves, and we trust in him. That's what God asked of the people. Move on. Moses, raise your hand. What, how's that going to part a sea? It doesn't. It's an act of faith. That's what he calls us to pray. Lord, where are you going to lead us? What are you going to do? Who's going to come and lead this church next? Who's your man, God? Who have you set apart for such a time as this? What's going to happen with my family, with my children, with my great-grandchildren? What's going to happen in the election? What's going to happen in our nation? What's going to happen in the world? I don't know where we're getting our next paycheck. Any of those things, pray. You can't control them. Let the Lord fight for you. This is the beautiful thing we see. And I'll close with this, verse 31, the end of the chapter. After the miracles taken place, when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Isn't it amazing that the same end result God worked through that miracle in those people is the same end result he wants to work in every single one of us? 
to cause us to see the great power of our God, to cause us to fear the Lord, to cause us to put our trust in him, and to cause us not to put our trust in his servant Moses, way better than that. As Hebrews said, hey, there's a guy way greater than Moses who's come along. To put our trust in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you trust in him, he's going to help us all cross over from life to death into the promised land he has in store for us. Clover ARP Church, I close with this. Be still and look at the salvation of the Lord. Be still and see the Jesus of the Lord and behold what he will do for you. Let's pray. Father, this is while we were created, while the universe was created, while the Red Sea was parted, while anything that has ever taken place in the history of the world has ever taken place, for the glory and praise and honor of Jesus Christ. And that is our prayer for this church. It's my prayer for my life and my family. It's our prayer for our nation. It's our prayer for the world, for every soul on planet Earth, that we would quit trying, quit fighting you, quit complaining against you, and just surrender, just give up, just be still and behold the deliverance, the salvation, the Jesus you have provided for us. Go before this precious church, Lord Jesus. Go before this precious town. Go before this precious nation. Go before planet earth, Lord God, and lead us in a pillar of cloud and fire after you, Jesus, as we step out in faith, whether we see where we're going or not, that we would just know we're following you and you will make a way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.